Welcome to Building Forever, a DBS Group podcast where we explore how we're creating a positive, lasting impact on the world around us, an impact that will endure well beyond the discovery of our last diamond. Hi there, my name is Jackie Mabilogo and I'm your host. On this, the fourth episode of our Building Forever podcast, we'll be focusing on the topic of partnering for thriving communities, one of DBS's four Building Forever pillars. Our vision is to be a catalyst for a step change in skills, health, and livelihoods to support resilience in communities and a diversified economy in our host countries. One of the most important factors affecting 13% of Southern Africa is HIV and AIDS. In a moment, we'll hear from Dr. Tepo Sidibe, our Senior Occupational Health Manager, on the journey from creating the first HIV and AIDS workplace program in the world to today's challenges of managing an epidemic inside a pandemic. Stay tuned later to hear from one of our listeners' burning questions on partnering for thriving communities. For now, over to you, Al. Thank you, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be speaking to my guest today on a topic at the core of De Beers' commitments to support communities way beyond mining. Shepo, welcome to the Building Forever podcast. Thank you for having me. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about why you're here today? My name is Dr. Tsapo Sidibe. I'm the group health lead for the DPS group. And I'm here today to share with you our humble achievements on our HIV journey, as well as our gaps and where we are keen to improve. It's been a solid 40 years since the inception of or the discovery of HIV, and we are having an opportunity to reflect since we have decided to really mount a fight in the DBS group, uh, how have we done thus far? And you talk about the journey, right? HIV and AIDS exploded into our consciousness and became kind of rampant in the 80s. Tell us where it started for DBS and for you personally. At a DBS level, it started way in 1996. In our business units in Botswana called Epswana, uh, we started to realize unfortunate and alarming loss of life uh, and we started to see the impact in the organization through loss of skills, poor productivity, as well as low employee morale. And it was then uh, through a anonymized voluntary prevalence survey, we got to realize that we have a problem because 31% of our employees who lost their lives during that particular year was as a consequence of HIV. And further, uh, it indicated that within the organization, we had a prevalence of 29% of our colleagues who were living with HIV and AIDS. Remember, in those days, they didn't have access to treatment, care, no support. And this was a condition that was poorly understood. And as a consequence, it was stigmatized and people were marginalized. I mean, those numbers are staggering really really high and and i'm pleased to to know that they're much much lower these days now we've had better access to treatment and stuff i guess you talk a little bit about the misconceptions and the disinformation that became rife during the time i wonder it would be interesting to know what did that do to the cause that misinformation maybe before you even go to the misinformation and misconception. I mean, post the understanding of what we were dealing with, 
uh, post the understanding that we had a challenge on our hands. Through the visionary leadership of the Depswana team and the DPS group, uh, they decided to really put together the first of its own kind workplace program in the world. Uh, and that decision was we were going to make sure that we provide to our employees access to treatment, but not only life-saving treatment in the form of antiretrovirals, but they decided as well, we're going to make sure that we extend care and treatment, uh, care and support to those who are not only infected, but there were those as well who were affected. Subsequently, that particular provision was made available as well to their beneficiaries. So the leadership took to itself to say, we care about our employees. It's enough. We're going to make sure that they access the life-saving treatment. Now, coming back to the misconception and the misinformation, the unfortunate thing uh, during that period and as I said earlier because this was poorly understood and people were marginalized it created an environment where those who were living with HIV were stigmatized and they were marginalized as a consequence they didn't have access to treatment care and support and it it evolved over time from people equating HIV with a death sentence to people poorly understanding transmission. People were marginalized because people thought being near an HIV person, touching an HIV person, you will get HIV. So it, it was such misinformation, disinformation, which evolved over time to people starting to marginalize according to certain uh, sectors such as those who are marginalized according to race, those who are uh, marginalized according to uh, their sexual orientation, and so forth and so on. So we have lived through unfortunate era of misinformation and, and disinformation that ultimately resulted into unwanted consequences such as, as I said, people didn't access treatment, care, and support. As a consequence, people lost their lives because they didn't access the necessary treatment, care and support. As a consequence, it gave birth to another twin to HIV, which is TB. We saw alarming increase in the number of TB cases and people losing their lives due to TB. The one that was heartbreaking for me was, unfortunately, HIV positive mothers gave birth to HIV-positive babies because they didn't have the necessary support, they didn't have the necessary access to treatment care. So those, those are some of the few misconceptions that we have lived through the disinformation and it continues to morph and now you would be you know, in an environment where we're struggling with those who are actually using HIV drugs to actually uh, use it for substance or recreational drugs. So we, we're still living in the, in the era where there's still a challenge in some misconceptions and disinformation out there around HIV and how we're really trying to create an environment where our colleagues, our communities who are living with HIV can actually thrive and prosper in society. You talk about it being heartbreaking for you personally, and, and that does lead me to reflect on kind of your personal journey and, and how you got involved with this. Tell me a bit about yourself. It, it's, been, it's been a humbling journey as well, uh, because I have been given an opportunity to exist during this particular transition. Uh, I came in, I, I've existed in a period where I've seen life without access to treatment, care and support. I've been during a period where we dealt with some very challenging drugs 
which uh, were difficult to uh, really live with in terms of their side effects. Uh, to today, we we are in an environment where uh, we are not even talking to potentially launching a drug which someone can take once a month, and that is it. Uh, we moved from people taking more than six drugs per day uh, to nine drugs sometimes. To today, we're living in an era where one drug. One tablet is sufficient to keep you healthy uh, for a month. So I, I have I have been in the system to see tragedy. I've been in the system to live through hope. I've lived in the system to realize that it is possible to live a healthy life with HIV. But even even better, it is actually possible to eliminate HIV. So at a professional level, at an individual level, I've really been humbled to see some of the achievements and to see how different parts of society came together to say, if we are to win this one, it needs to be all hands on deck. If we are to eliminate HIV, we need to take everyone with us. And in that, we will potentially in 2030 eliminate HIV. And you talked about some of the achievements there. I just wonder if perhaps since the, the beginning of the program, when you first installed the first workplace program to tackle HIV and AIDS, if those numbers have gone down and you've seen a significant difference with the efforts made? Absolutely. Uh, quite heartwarming. We spoke to, in 1996, when we did that initial voluntary anonymous uh, prevalence survey, uh, we spoke of 31% of those who lost their lives was as a consequence of HIV. We are currently sitting at about 0.01%. For us, that is not an achievement. For us, that is an improvement. As long as we're still having a person losing their life to HIV, it is not enough. We are not yet where we desire to be. We spoke of a prevalence of about 29% meaning 29% of our colleagues were living with HIV. We're currently sitting at about 10%, not only because of natural attrition, but there were bespoke programs put in place to reduce the rate of new cases. We have seen the rate of new cases significantly going down, and simply because we later on got to realize that if we really make sure that those who are living with HIV are linked to treatment care and support, Ultimately, they will suppress the virus. And when they suppress the virus, they really do not transmit the virus. Therefore, the very first step of protecting society, of protecting everyone, is to make sure that those who are living with HIV suppress the virus and they actually are equivalent to no transmission. Therefore, that has given us hope into that 2030 vision that we are keen to realize in terms of eliminating HIV. The other heartwarming milestone uh, that we have realized uh, through this particular journey is we are today sitting at 13 years of zero cases of mother-to-child transmission, meaning it's been 13 years that we haven't had any HIV-positive mother giving birth to an HIV-positive uh, child. For us, it is so aligned with our value of shaping the future and showing we care. I spoke to a twin of HIV in the form of TB. We have done significantly well in making sure that as we impact HIV positively, we realize the benefits with TB. In the past five years, we have decreased 
our annualized TB incidence from about 146 per 100,000 to literally 65 per 100,000. This is in an environment, when we talk about Southern Africa that is significantly burdened by uh, TB and HIV, we're talking the mining sector that often is associated with high rates of TB. We are currently in an environment where given at any point in time you're looking at uh, prevalence of about uh, 200 to at least uh, 400 uh, per 100,000. We are sitting at 65. At some point, we actually went for 18 months without a single TB case. For us, it gives us hope that zero is possible. We are now looking at life beyond zero. Wow. So what do you think is it that's really uh, kind of cut a swathe through those numbers? Is it antiviral treatment? Is it regular testing? What, what's the thing that's really made the difference? It is actually beyond the biomedical aspects. It is actually looking at how do you foster partnerships? How do you make sure that in that journey you take everyone along with you? How do you work together to understand some structural barriers within society? for people to access treatment, care, and support? How do you understand the social determinants of health and actually improve on those uh, in that you're starting to go on a journey of really realizing zero cases of HIV? How do you partner with governments? How do you partner with communities? How do you partner with civil society and non-governmental organization and academia to really look at a sustainable journey and a journey that would get you to where you desire to be, which is eliminating HIV in 2030. The, the biomedical aspects are quite easy. Uh, they're quite simple. They've been there for quite some time. It is how do we make sure that those who live with HIV, they know their status and they know it so early, so that those who are HIV positive, they can be linked to treatment care support as early as possible. And when we do so, they do suppress the virus and they live a healthy, and a productive life. So for that, we have achieved a milestone in 2019, SDPS. You probably have heard of what we call the UN goal uh, or the UN AIDS global goal of 1990-90 by 2020. DPS achieved that by 2019. Little did we know that 2020 was going to be such a colorful year. So we achieved it only just uh, before the outbreak and the advent of COVID. So for us, the biomedical aspects is something that we viewed them as important, yet there's far more for us to achieve if we look at beyond the biomedical aspects. And the other important aspect from a workplace perspective was to really get the DBS leadership to champion the cause. So you have leadership that is really taking ownership of this particular space, that is working the top. It makes life easy when your executive committee says, we have tested all of us and we know our HIV status. It is empowering to do so. We urge you to do the same. You're absolutely right. Uh, that tone from the top is really, really important, isn't it? And you remain very humble about the gaps that, you, that you've got. So what's there left to do? What are you going to do to address them? The first one is as society, as workplace, as an organisation, we really have to close the tech of new cases of HIV. That is the only way we're going to eliminate HIV effectively. Our focus is shifting from just affording people opportunities to test and know, and just merely affording them treatment to how do we make sure 
that we significantly reduce new cases of uh, HIV. So as I said, not only limited to the biomedical aspects, but is to really understand the complexities that are sitting in society. How do we really champion the cause to make sure that vulnerable groups are identified, vulnerable groups are brought into the conversation, and we work together to make sure that everyone access treatment, care and support. Everyone is not going to realize those structural barriers and actually can thrive and prosper in society. So it is a holistic approach to this. It is how do we make sure that as workplaces, we lower our fences, we understand the communities in and around us. And Building Forever is giving us that. Building Forever is allowing us to say, what are the things as an organization can we partner on to make sure that our communities achieve the SDG3 goals? Now, that for me, it is really the beginning of an important journey. It is a beginning of a sustainable journey that will see to it as actually eliminating things such as HIV. Definitively so. Nice. And you touched a little bit on the pandemic before, and I think we couldn't talk about um, the epidemic without the pandemic surrounding it. I just wonder if you could paint a picture of life in Africa during the restrictions and actually what were some of the challenges faced? What did you have to overcome? Are you there yet? It's been a painful, it's been an exhausting period. For us, it really crystallized the inequalities that we've been talking to. It really crystallized the poverty that has been a problem in Africa. It crystallized some of the deficiencies, whether you're talking structural access or we're talking access to care and support, primary health care services. We, we saw a period that was dominated by mental health-related issues because people found themselves in quite... Um, unbearable circumstances without access to basic needs. However, equally there's been quite a promising and quite a heartwarming uh, period in that the response that came from different sectors of society was quite encouraging. We saw private sector, we saw civil society organization, we saw government responding in a manner that really gave us hope that when we work together when we put our heads together, there is absolutely nothing that we cannot tackle. When we are focused around one objective, which is how to improve the health of everyone, we can go the distance. And for me, COVID has been about that. It has been about partnerships. It has been about how do we then use this period to rebuild the trust uh, between different sectors of society. It has been about how do we reshape society how do we make sure that we do not once again leave one of the famous saying by Warren Buffett, which is, it is when the tide is low that we get to realize who's been swimming naked. As Africa, we don't ever want to be caught swimming naked in the next low tide. This, for me, is an opportunity to really, truly and honestly build a new landscape, build a new environment in terms of healthcare provision. We can differ on many things as society, we can differ on many things as different parts of different regions of the world, but COVID has taught us that one thing that we would agree on is how important 
health is. Chapeau, that was really illuminating. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the Building Forever podcast. I hope our listeners got as much out of that conversation as I did. And again, thank you. Thank you. Cheers, then. And now to your burning question from our most recent town hall. How have we supported our communities during the pandemic? Well, here's Bruce Cleaver, our CEO, with the answer. So the headline number is, of course, that we've invested just under $20 million in providing uh, support, largely in the form of uh, procuring vaccines in countries uh, where vaccines are difficult to come by and helping with other medical assistance. And that's a tremendous thing to be able to do. But we've done a tremendous amount more than that over the last 18 months in order to help communities, governments, et cetera. And it is worth touching on some of them. I suppose the most important one and one that I do feel strongly about is through the terrible year of 2020, particularly the first half of 2020, when many of our mining operations stopped, many of our retail stores stopped, uh, and we stopped having sites. And we've never not had sites other than last year, even during the war. Uh, We made sure that we kept our people employed and we kept our people paid. We made sure that everybody continued to be in employment and got paid because it was really important that people were able to maintain their livelihoods and their communities um, around them. We made purchases of diamonds in both from both Debswana and the NAMDEB group um, when the government windows were not prepared to purchase uh, in the middle of the downturn. And I knew when we purchased those diamonds, we would not be able to sell them at the time we purchased them. But we did them because we wanted to keep money flowing in these countries. And in 2020 alone, um, our operations in Namibia and in Botswana paid about 900 million US dollars in tax. I think that's a really important number because it's those contributions of tax that allow governments to carry on doing what they need to do, just to look after their communities and invest in in the kinds of things governments do. So that's a thing that I think um, we should be proud of. Um, And that's, I think, a very important economic contribution to our societies. And when I look down into the kind of more micro level, there's been a number of terrific things that have been done across the group by each and every one of you. In Southern Africa, you've provided PPE, you've provided food parcels to vulnerable households, we've sourced and donated PCR machines and testing equipment to governments who weren't able to get it. Our medical experts have been as fabulous as ever in making their time available um, 24 hours a day. We've co-funded sanitation programs, we've donated technical equipment to schools, we've donated oxygen supplies where oxygen is needed. In Canada, we've made many donations, including PPE and medical um, assistance to indigenous communities. In the UK, our tech tech teams have done innovative things like use the 3D printing capacity to print PPE for people in in, in healthcare. We've made our accommodation uh, available in London to hospital staff at the St. Bart's Hospital for, for a year so that they didn't have to travel all the way home Uh, and come back to work um, in a frazzled state. So we've we've done tremendous stuff across the group. Thanks for tuning into Building Forever, a podcast from De Beers Group. Ethical practice, thriving communities, equal opportunity, and the natural world are topics teeming with questions. If there's something you think we should discuss in a future episode, do get in touch with us. You'll find us at De Beers Group Communications at debeersgroup.com or reach out on Twitter at De Beers Group using the hashtag Building Forever. Until next time.